Nick, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you a question that I should have asked at the beginning and probably will cut into the beginning of the podcast so you can kind of like, you know, talk as though we haven't been talking this whole time. But just to like give people an idea of like your magic history and maybe not how you got started necessarily, but like how you've been coming up, what, what you've been doing to play magic and just like who you are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So just whatever, however you want to sum, sum that up. Oh, okay. I can, I can, I can ask it in a way. Um, yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll intro that in a way that, that will actually work. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 253 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rappel. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hello, Chris. And as a special guest today, we have our friend Nick Chirillo, aka Bob and Cheese. Nick moved to our area recently as a magic player we were aware of on twitter and stuff previously then became a human being that we play magic with and uh we have enjoyed having you around uh nick won an rzq recently playing indomitable creativity so figured we'd have you on to talk about some modern and good to have you here hey yeah uh happy to be here and talk about creativity deck is sweet winning stuff is sweet so yeah Good, good stuff all around. You recently moved to the area. We have had the pleasure of playing some tournaments with you and cubing with you in particular, and that has been fun. Uh, you beat the shit out of me the first time that we played in cube, and I'm looking for my revenge at some point. For the people who don't know you, would you mind just like giving us a little bit of a rundown of your magic history, what you've been doing, what you what you've played, and uh, I don't know, just like what what's your What's your magic player identity and, and, and history? Yeah, for sure. So uh, first off, shout out to Battle Screech for being the best card disgusting. in Disgusting. Absolutely abysmal. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, so my name is Nick Shrillo. I first played magic when I was like a kid. I, I played with my little brother and we had intro decks. And I do not know what was in my intro deck, because I don't have very good memory actually, but his deck had slivers. And slivers are just unbeatable in the realm of intro deck magic, because none of your removal is any good. And you just have like your crappy creatures, and he just has 10 of his crappy creatures. So we did that a lot when I was eight. And then fast forward a bit, uh, it's my sophomore year of college, uh, Oath of the Gatewatch has just come out, and the people I'm hanging out with have been playing a lot of magic. So I got into magic then, uh, mostly playing modern, just like going FNMs. Uh, I played the only deck, I, I, I used all of my savings to buy Burn. And Burn was pretty good. Uh, I had Wild McCoddle, powerful mm -hmm. magic card. Banned at one point in modern. Banned, not when I was playing. It was not worthy. But, uh, you know, pr pr pretty good. Played a lot of uh, Burn v like Affinity and Infect. Those were Classic uh, some magic. of my favorite matchups. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. And so I played that and then my, my, my first magic claim to fame was the, the week Elders Moon came out, I had this idea of what if we took Traverse the Uvenwald and Embercool and we put them in the same deck. Wow. And, it, and, wow. I, and I did it. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 was, it, was, it was very smart. And, and I won an IQ on release weekend with that deck and my opponent I, I was not very good. But you had a lot of Emrakuls. I had a lot of Emrakuls, and my black-white opponent in the finals was furious because I messed up all of my Emrakuls. Like, I was like five of <laughs> them in one game, so he had no chance to win. I some, <laughs> Somehow, I knew the story when you started with, I'm not good. I knew the story ended with, but there were a lot of Emrakuls. Yeah, there were just so many Emrakuls. <laughs> um, Man, and yeah, and then, and then uh, Ross Merriam wrote an article about my deck. And my friends at my, I was living in Maryland at the time. And they were like, talk to me about the fact that Ross Merriam wrote an article on my deck. And that was the coolest thing that ever <laughs> happened to me. So I was just like, I was hooked. I, I was convinced that I was great and I was going to play more magic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, just been, been doing that since then. I, I have a one-year-old son named Teddy and I have a wife 
and I'm a software engineer at Google, and I do not have as much time for Magic as I'd like, but uh, fortunately, they were out of town this weekend, so I played a tournament, and I won, so that was cool. Uh, so yeah. I mean, it's always good, always good to feel like, you, you know, come back and, and be like, yeah, I still got it. I, I know what to do. Yeah, it's good to have. There are all these Zoomers. They got all this time. They got all this knowledge, but it doesn't See, matter. Magic is one of those games, though, that you can come back to. I can't come back to StarCraft or Street Fighter, but, you know, you can take a break and you can come back to Magic the Gathering. That is possible. Yeah, it's cool. And, I, you know, I've got, like, friends all over the country. They're all going to be going to Atlanta. I was going to go to Atlanta regardless of if, if I queued or not, because I just think it's the first yeah. thing of this new system. It's going to be really hype. But obviously, being qualified, now getting to test with them and prepare, that, that's going to be so exciting. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really I, excited. I am planning on being there whether or not I qualify, but we're going to we're gonna give it a real shot. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. There's like two yeah. and a half months There's left. Time. You got this. And if not, if not so I'll be time. like with the rest of the suckers in the LCQs the, the night before. Yeah. Just in the trenches. Just like <laughs> pissing Burn, away money. Out. <laughs> Just played the worst Pioneer yeah. deck you've ever seen. Getting to form one oh, and breaking. Beautiful. Ah. That's, that's what it's all about. <laughs> Memories. <laughs> that's what the gathering's all about. <laughs> that's, that's the gathering. It's, 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 the, it's referring to when you like all rush to the pairings board. Yeah, the, the the gathering is everybody trying to find that one card that nobody bothered to pre-order. And so you're just running between all of the vendors hoping that they brought this common from like <laughs> Onslaught Walk or whatever. You know, we can just kind of start with, I don't know, maybe just like your idea of modern in general was the choice of creativity, like a particular, I think modern is in this spot or just, I think this deck is sweet and people like aren't ready for it or, and also you, you played the four Archon version, the like non blue version that's been gaining popularity, right? Or the non, non white version. I mean, yes, I played the, the three and a half where the half is just hard casting Archon sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, color version that uh, Gabe Nassif, I think, first popularized. Mm -hmm. The week before this tournament, I played in a different RCQ, and I played four color. Uh, I've been playing four color for a while. It's obviously very good. Um, I thought, you know, I don't really know what people are going to be doing. I'm just going to play whatever I perceive the best deck to be. Ended up going 4-1-1 one, one for ninth on Breakers. Beautiful in that tournament yep crushed it this is the tournament that we talked about last week where just everybody had an unintentional draw at some point in the tournament so there was only yeah. one x and one in the top eight <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and lee top eighted mm -hmm. great job lee thanks and so i was looking at that top eight right and even if i had top eighted with you know better breakers the matches were not good mm -hmm. for me there was leon creativity a grinding station player, a Tron player, Rhino's player, which I think is unfavored if you're playing the Delirium version and don't have Ephemerates. And then Murktide, which is a good matchup, another four color player. And then Living End. Oh, and Living End, okay. And, and I, Living End is like media. And I was playing Glimpse, not Creativity. Oh, sorry, yeah, Glimpse, Glimpse was but, but that's also um, a very bad matchup for four color. <laughs> right, so it's just like, all right, well, I didn't make top eight, but also if I had made top eight, I, I'm just really hoping this Murktide player <laughs> bonks a lot of bad matches for me uh, on the way out of the tournament. So I was thinking I wanted to attempt to pivot into something else because it seemed like there were more anti-four color decks than I think were really justified. There wasn't that much four color in the room, but I think partially because Tron and Burn are both modern decks with such a long history that there are a lot of people who are just going to default to them if they're if they seem fairly well positioned. So at first I wanted to try Hammer. And so I played that in some in some leagues and I lost to Merktide a lot. And Hammer knowledgeable players will tell you the Merktide matchup is good. And I believe them, but I I, I didn't know what to do. And I had like three days, so I wasn't gonna figure it out. <laughs> so uh, at that point I I actually sort of gave up and was like, all right, Modern's too hard. I'm just going to run back four color, but I'll try this Archon deck because Archon's cool and it's fun. 
And then I won a lot with it. So at that point, I thought, okay, well, I'm winning a lot with this deck. And crucially, when I was when I was playing these initial games, there was a lot of Archon on the in the queues because it had just done well the previous week. So I played a lot of mirrors, which uh, if you want to beat four color creativity, the, the Grixis version with Persist is really good in the mirror. Um, so I lost a lot to that deck, but I didn't think that was a particularly important data point because sure. I don't think anyone was going to register that. That's a little too advanced for a paper RCQ. At the, you know, it, it's just yeah. an iteration too far to expect in a, a paper tournament. Right. And crucially, I beat all of my four color opponents and all of my Merktad opponents. And then I... I got in a call with some friends and tested that matchup. Um, and th- both of those seem, seem pretty positive. I think those two matchups seemed really promising. Those are, I think, the two most common popular mm. decks that I, that I would expect to do well. And this deck also, I think, I thought beat up on the other combo decks that people are trying to use to attack four color right now because it is in a similar space to them with regards to the power, how powerful its plan A is, but you get to play a lot more permission. So you get to sort of be pre-boarded for the mirror where a lot of the other decks are cascade decks. So they can't play spell pierce and fluster storm and dispute and veil. And, you know, they're, they're very powerful one drops. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, that's that's been kind of the holy grail of the format a little bit is to find a deck that is actively good against Murktide and actively good against Four Color at the same time. Obviously, both of those decks can adapt and start playing like more focused sideboard cards if if this deck becomes a presence in the format. But anytime you can find a weekend where you're good against the current builds of both of those decks, that sounds like a a good plan, a good thing to bring that weekend. Yeah, I, I agree. And if you, a listener, are listening to this podcast right now, uh, ne- next weekend's probably also still good. People don't respond that fast. In paper, you got to order cards. I have this deck. I have all the cards I'm missing for this deck in my like cart on TCG. But like that's as far as I'm going is like buying this deck, like not buying things to let me beat this deck. So, it, you know. Yeah. Shout out to Lee, by the way. Uh, I needed explorers, <laughs> and finding commons is impossible. <laughs> so, so I used his explorers. Very powerful. Um, yeah. Initially, those were just fables that you needed, but you found those, and then you needed explorers and tokens. <laughs> yeah, the the local stores uh, were willing to take my fifteen dollars for Fable the Mirror Breaker, but were not willing to take my I don't know thirty five cents for an explorer for some reason. I mean, if stores were to sell just like commons for a premium, like a dollar or a dollar fifty for a playable commons, like I would absolutely pay that for anything that I'm missing. I I remember in when I was in Europe, there was at least one store that would show up at all of the GPs that had just these like massive binders full of like the playable commons and they sold them for like, you know, 50 cents or a euro or whatever. And they were an absolute lifesaver like i was always buying stuff from them which i don't know how much of a profit they were actually making off of that like the hassle of making sure you have enough copies of these commons but uh i did appreciate it as a player yeah i mean you end up paying the the tax anyway when you buy stuff with my tcg player because the card is 10 cents you got to pay for Mm -hmm. shipping for your four cards so that's like a couple bucks so yeah yeah commons are impossible i got to get back to the like buying a set a common and uncommon set from every expansion. I, I I guess since we're playing Paper Magic again. You just got to get the ones that seem relevant. Like uh, an offer you can't refuse from yeah. Streets of New Capena. That's like one of the only uncommons that see any play in Modern. Yeah, and uh, predicting that one was not... Oh, I would have I, I picked Yeah, that, I mean, seems... it has like possibilities for weird shit, which is the only thing it's being used for is weird shit. Right, yeah. I have an eye for the weird shit. Yeah. It's like... And... You know, they don't work out. You're off like a buck or something. Yeah. I mean, totally off topic, but did watch Canister playing the uh, Song of Creation deck quite a bit and just watched a bunch of like a lot of opponent plays Ren and Six on the play and then he just kills them turn two on the draw. <laughs> that deck's pretty impressive when it works. It's also pretty impressive when it does. It looks like this deck should not even belong in the hands of anyone and you should stop playing it immediately. Your hand is just like strike it rich endurance endurance lands. Like what, the, what do I Pact do? Of negation. <laughs> An offer you can't refuse. Yeah, beautiful stuff. All right. So 
yeah, so you were testing, you, you back to back to relevant magic conversation. You're testing, you figured, you know, this deck has good matchups against the stuff that you want to beat, namely four color, Murktide, and some of the combo-y stuff that was there to beat four color. Uh, how did the tournament play out? Obviously, like, to at least some degree, that paid off. All right, so short version, I won all my matches, and then they gave me the trophy. Great. Longer version. All right, podcast I over. Burn. <laughs> yeah, so I played against Burn three times, oh which uh, <laughs> is not a thing I really wanted to happen. Very crucially, I won the die roll in two of those matches, which I think is pretty important. Something I think is important when you're showing up with the brew is even if you are targeting a subset of decks, like here I'm targeting Merc, Titan, Four Color. It is important that your deck has game plan against the wide variety of things people can bring to modern, right? Because you are, in any given modern tournament, very likely just play against a different deck literally every yeah. round. Even though my deck was not, you know, Burn was not what I wanted to face. Um, I think especially on the draw, if they have creatures, you just kind of get run over. But, you know, we have tools, Crab, uh, hard evidence yeah. is so big. I I had in in my first game of the tournament. I'm on the play, and I play a turn one crab. My opponent plays a mountain and a goblin guide <laughs> and passes the turn. <laughs> so that crab just doing so much work. And then also like they structurally are pretty good versus you because they're they're good at getting underneath what it is you're trying to do. But if Archon actually resolves, it's like really hard for Burn to beat an Archon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it gains. Gains a lot of life and makes them discard cards and kills them in like two turns. And that's sort of your your plan versus all the linear decks. I I went up to six copies of uh, a polymorph type effect. That's four Indomitable Creativities, two Transmogrifies. And the reason I wanted six was because I just want as much consistency in putting an Archon into play as possible, especially in the pre-board games. In, in the post-board games that drag out, uh, the transmogrifies, I'd use a trim on them because it's a lot easier for your opponent to interact with the combo when you're pointing it at exactly one creature, mm -hmm. right? Their spot move gets a lot better. Right. But in the pre-board games, I just really want to make sure on turn four, every game, I'm able to attempt a combo because there are a lot of matches where you just need to do yeah. that. And so that that really paid off for me versus Burn. Um, I cast a lot of transmogrifies to, to lock it up there. I swapped from... The versions I've been seeing were playing Force of Vigor, and I cut the Force of Vigors for a fourth Perseju and a Nature's Claim, with the idea being that you only have eight green spells in your main deck. So your Force of Vigor is like kind of dicey, and in the place where you need it, you really just, it just needs to work. It doesn't need to blow them out. You don't need the card advantage. Yeah. You just need to, if basically the whole idea with the deck, it's, it's a pretty, if you ever played um like the Team or Scape Shift decks, it plays out a lot like those, where you're just trying to tread water, not necessarily answer everything your opponent presents, but m make sure you don't die, and then eventually just cast some fairly expensive spell and arbitrarily win the game from there. Right. And so uh, against my burn opponent, I was able to kill a uh, Roiling Vortex with a Nature's Claim, which if it had been a Force of Vigor, I both would have taken five <laughs> if I tried to pitch cast it, <laughs> and I also didn't have the green card anyway, so that, you know, it's it's always nice when you have a plan and the plan works, then you win, you feel all good and smart about your decisions. Let me ask you about a card choice because sure. you said you like the transmogrifies. And I, when I was looking at the deck that I think Sam Rolf won with. Yeah, that's that's the list. Sorry, I couldn't remember his name, but that is the list that I started with when I made my change. Yeah, and one he, of the main changes, he had a Jace yeah. the Mind Sculptor in his list. Which yeah, did you try that out? Any? It looks yeah, like Jace sucks. <laughs> it's so bad. So like your whole the, the your whole plan is, not, is casting a four mana sorcery. I don't know about adding yeah, another so one. Yeah, so it's 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 not a pivot because you they're just already ready for you to try to do this. In so many matchups, it's just not good. Like you you just all right. I'm gonna tap out for this and die. And the whole shuffling your Archons back into your deck is cute, but practically in the longer games, you can just cast the Archons, or if that's not a part of the game plan, you can just discard them. You don't need four Archons to win the game. I think cut it, cutting, it, in basically every game I've won with the Transmogrify, if that card had been a Jace, one, a lot of times you can't cast it because you don't have two blue mana because your deck has to have like 
all, all these basic mountains to, to do to do the basic thing. We are a, we are a quad dwarven mine deck, so. Oh yeah, four dwarven mine, one basic mountain, one blood crypt, which is basically a basic mountain. You you, you can't ever protect the Jace with counter magic because you don't have enough blue mana to facilitate that. Yeah, when you, when you have a dwarven mine and a blood crypt in play, it's really hard to go Jace mystical dispute. <laughs> yeah, it's like really hard. Also, so, mystical dispute is a, a card that exists, and you don't well, yeah. play four mana blue cards into it. Yes, that's, that's yeah. also true. I, 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 I would not play Jace. I also just don't think you need, like, a, a big part of the power of the creativity ta- deck is hate cards are not good versus you. You don't, like, if you're playing, like, Reanimator, maybe you need a pivot because Rest in Peace is really powerful and your opponent might play it and you need to win the game in some other fashion. Mm-hmm. There's just nothing that's actually good versus creativity. Cards that stop you from playing stuff off a library doesn't work because it exiles and then casts them for whatever reason. Or exiles and puts them into play. Yeah, I, th- exiles, I think it exiles and puts yeah, them into play. Yeah. So grab the cage doesn't it, 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 get, work. It gets around. Yeah. Right. And also, even if it did, you can target the cage. So yeah, you, you, just, you just you don't. You, you do have a little bit of a like secondary scrappy beatdown plan with uh, Fable and Dwarves, and you have the threat of Ren Ultimate, which comes up a lot during in the four color matchup. It, it's pretty uncommon for you to actually ultimate the Ren because there's like lots of answers, but the the contortions your opponent has to do to keep you off that plan can often give you the space you need to resolve uh, one of your creativities. Cause that's that's really, that, that's the whole game plan. You, you are playing the entire game to resolve one, four to six mana spell, and then resolve it in such a way that it is good enough to win the game. Right. But they have to stop the Ren. It is a distraction. So they have to, they have to ending it or something. Yeah, the Ren will win. You have Lightning Bolt. You can just bolt them a bunch. It'll it, it works out sometimes. Yeah, it's kind of like the the Underworld Breach deck, where like yeah, you're not really planning to kill them with Ragavan Dragon's Rage Channeler, but they do have to tap some mana to kill them at some point, and that might open up a window for you to win. Kind of similar philosophy. Yeah, and and really similarly to the to the Ragavan example, the, a lot of the power in Ragavan and the Breach deck is that it makes treasures, right? So you have a mana advantage on your opponent, which allows you to like cast a fairy and then combo off, right? And in the Creativity deck, you're doing a similar thing with your Ren. Uh, I, I played Creativity previously without Ren. Th- that deck was not very good. I would not recommend mm-hmm. it. But Ren just giving you so many extra resources, like if you stuff to discard to your fables, it me- makes hard casting Archon in just like a normal game, not a game where you're super flooded, but a game where you've been trading resources fairly, like a, a, a very real part of your plan. Single-handedly won me my finals match against uh, Yawgmoth. I don't know how, how that matchup is. I uh, went on record telling a bunch of people, Yogg is not real and it cannot hurt mm-hmm. me. Uh, when I decided to cut the Evercool from the deck, I, I don't know if that's actually true. I just sort of assumed I wouldn't face it, and then I faced it in the finals. But uh, that match ended up being, I think, much easier than the matchup actually is. My opponent just kept a kind of kind of landlight hands with mana dorks, and I killed all of their mana dorks with red and six. So that that was good. I, I recommend doing that. <laughs> Ideal for them not to have wall of roots as one of their mana dorks. Well, you know, it it, it works out. <laughs> but yeah, so Ren, Ren is very good. And coming from four color, the, the difference between playing a 60-card Ren deck and an 80-card Ren deck, it's just like so many more Rens. You draw Ren so often. Yes. And it's just, it's, it, it, I, I cannot overstate how powerful it is to, to draw Ren. To, to, to be able to reasonably in a game, so yeah, my, my plan is to cast a four drop and hold up a spell pierce and... That's just like a thing that's going to happen consistently in modern. It's, it's kind of bizarre. It's, it's not really what you'd expect uh, from that format, but it just happens a lot because Ren, t- two mana planeswalker that draws a card every turn is is uh, very good. And then whenever they do win the fight over the Ren, then you are just like, oh yeah, I'm a creativity deck, by the way. And then you just kill them with it. Yeah. Oh, and also, you have three spell pierce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> spell pierce, very good versus Ren. I, I won one of my matches against four color. Game one, I'm on the draw. And I keep like Fetchland, Ren, Double Spell Pierce, Bolt, Creativity, some final card. And, and you notice there's only one land in, in that hand. I did notice. And I and I brick for the first draw, 
Spell Pierce their Teferi on, on their turn three, draw land, untap, slam Brian, win the game very easily. Spell Pierce is the other quiet reason this deck I think is really good right now. I think Spell Pierce is actually good versus everybody. Like every every deck people actually play. It's obviously very good versus Merc Tide. And very importantly, it's both good at stopping your opponent's reactive plans, right? So if they're on Cascade or if they're on like four color or Merc, you know, it's, it's good at stopping that. But it's also very good at protecting your plan because the only real way to interact with creativity is on the stack. You can sort of do, do it with discard, but I have six copies and you can sort of do it with removal, but either by targeting an artifact or by just targeting multiple creatures you can play play through that. And so the only real way to fight it is on the stack. But because you have enough interaction with like just your lightning bolts and explore speeding you up a bit, th they can't really try to counter you with a bunch of mana open. And so the spell pierces just are very often good, uh, allow you to really pull ahead in those spots. Sure. Yeah, and I, I think that you are completely right to emphasize just the value of Renin 6 in this deck. Uh, and this is like a weird comparison, but it's one that I made last week when we were talking about this deck and not to just like reiterate things over and over again, but I've played creativity decks in various other smaller formats because I do like the play style. I, I like the like big spell quote combo deck style of play. But the thing that those decks were always missing in those formats was like an early play that forces your opponent to do something like I was, I was always trying to figure out like something to do in them can we make this like obviously you can't do a creature right like and you can't do an artifact like can we make this like something that is threatening and it it, it it's really hard to find that thing in the other formats that like allows you to accrue some sort of advantage be doing something proactive before you resolve uh indomitable creativity and the lack of that is always the weakness of those decks and the reason that creativity is like fine in the smaller formats because you just like have one plan and your opponent can focus all their resources on that plan and when they can't focus all their resources on that plan then that creates a lot more openings and a lot more ability for you to you know leverage your cards yeah yeah, for sure. And also, as opposed to those other formats, the fact that you can tutor your Dwarven Minds mm -hmm. makes you much closer to a one-card combo. Right. With those other decks, if your opponent is spending resources killing your creatures in response to your creativity, they're, they're getting a pretty good deal on you. Because you, you had to do something to put those tokens onto the battlefield. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's basically free and you always have access to it is just like, you know, we, we saw... Will Kruger, like two or three weeks ago, win the mocks with uh, Titan Shift. I think this deck is doing a lot of what that deck was doing. But it gets to play good magic cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you, don't, you don't, yeah. You're not, you don't have to get the seven mana. You only have to get the four mana to do your mm. thing. You have significantly more interaction. I think, I think it's, it's just a better deck against the field, right? Whereas Titan Shift really only beats four colors. Yeah. And we've, we've, we've gone on record many times saying don't play. Titan shift in an actual modern tournament. That's not that's not what it's for. Yeah. It's a very specific weapon. Mostly to win the mocks. Mostly to win the mocks, yeah. It's effective at that though. I know that, you know, your like route to this deck wasn't coming from like playing other versions of creativity and then this is what you have settled on or anything. But, you know, kind of the main difference between this creativity deck and the older versions that have had, you know, middling success. You know, this cuts a color and specifically doesn't have Teferi Time Raveler in it. Did you feel any way about that during the tournament or when you've been playing this deck? Is that a loss or do you make up for it with, you know, having more counter magic or, you know, what's the, uh, what what are your feelings about no Teferi in the deck? Yeah, so I actually played against that deck also in this tournament. So I played Burn three times and and this deck, and the, the, the version with Teferi. Something I do is I try to play a lot of different decks that just interest me. So I had Archon reps and creativity reps from like months mm -hmm. ago. And I think I would say to any player, you know, who wants to play a lot of modern, it just, getting reps with decks that seem powerful, but not quite there has a habit of paying off for you down the line where they print, they there's some new build or new tweak or new card that makes that actually playable. And you have a lot of you then have a head start on the other people because you've already played some of the games. You know how it plays out. You know what a lot of the play patterns are. 
So Teferi's very good. I would play Teferi if it was castable. The part where you are a, like this deck is basically a Simic deck, splashing this triple red card that forces all of your lands to be balanced. <laughs> so doing that puts a lot of strain on your mana. And this is modern, fetch lands are very powerful. You, you can do basically whatever you want with your mana, but your weakness is you take a lot of damage, you play a lot of tap lands, right? Because you're either playing more shocks or a bunch of triumphs. And I played against Burn three times in this tournament, <laughs> where if I had my mana adjusted to account for that, I probably would have lost. My, my sideboard plan versus Burn was to take out both the Blood Crypt and the Proving Ground, the, the Jun Triumph, because if I draw either of those cards, I'm probably going to lose. If I if I have to use one of them as my land, I'm just not going to get there. Um, it's it's just it's it's too slow. It t- it's too much damage. Mm-hmm. And so I think because of all that, even though Teferi is very good, I I think the deck is worse if you play it, which also sucks because this deck's sideboard is not very good. Uh, turns out the no creature. Only teamer cards, no, no artifact, artifact yeah. restriction. Yeah, yeah. And your explosives would be so good. Just so good. Well, yeah, and there's no <laughs> graveyard hate that you can play in teamer colors if you're not allowed to play artifacts. It's such a weird restriction. Like, maybe you don't necessarily need graveyard hate, but there is just a very constricting, like, the good sideboard cards in modern are white and black and artifacts, and you're a teamer deck that can't play artifacts. Yeah, I, so I actually played two copies of Leyline of the Void. Mm-hmm which is legal and, and not teamer, but it's not really any color. And, they, and they're okay. I think the, the I think the graveyard decks can, like the thing they do can overpower the thing you're doing. Like living in, putting 10 things into play is just gonna beat an Archon a pretty high percentage of the time. And they've also got force um, negation, so tough to race. Right, right, right. So I wanted a little bit of extra help there. You're, you're pretty limited to, you have very good counter spells, which are very good in the format, so that, that's convenient. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of disenchants. Besage is very good. Also, Besage doubling as big mana hate is pretty huge. Mm-hmm. I think Tron goes from a negative matchup to a pretty positive matchup once you just have four Besage in your 75. And unlike the four color deck, where if you Besage them a lot, I don't know, sometimes they just cast a, se- a seven mana card, you also can't beat that one. This th- this deck could pretty easily beat a seven mana card. Like we we have we have the technology. Our uh, just takes it. Edicting Planeswalkers is powerful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is. It is a lot like just the level of restriction that you have. I think probably turns your sideboard planning into very similar to like building a sideboard for a Cascade deck. Just like a kind of similar level of restrictions to what you're allowed to put in there. So. A lot of a lot of thought and a lot of deep cuts to to make your sideboard do what you needed to do. Yeah, definitely. It hurts too because you like have all these red sources, but no real like the red cards suck for sideboarding. Unless you're a burn. Red duck. cards are bad for sideboarding. Se- Season pyromancer illegal. Even that card would be so good. It would just be so. Well, good. you just want more copies of Fable. That's that's all you want. So. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, F- Fable Fable is excellent. Fable being. A threat they have to answer. Fable. If they don't answer it, you can go create. You can go creativity with counter backup up on your turn four because you make you make the token. That that's really powerful. The looting is really powerful. So I think I think the worst cards in the deck are unfortunately hard evidence and Prismari command, just because in a lot of matches they don't do very much. But I think Ragavan is such an important card in the format that hard evidence. And like hard evidence also, it draws a card. It's like congruous with your strategy. Um, so I think I think it gets a cut. And then Prismari Command, I think Hammer is a pretty rough matchup for you. Um, they're just very fast, have also spell pierces sometimes. I like it for that, but also just looting is really good in this deck. You have, by, by virtue of being a red and six deck, you, you sort of draw a lot of lands fairly often because when you're drawing a land every turn with red, you don't actually want to draw more lands. And you also draw Archons because you're playing four of them and you don't want to do that. And so the, the looting, making it so you don't have to play all of the cards you draw is really powerful. For me, Prismari Command, 
in this type of deck has been like a glue sort of thing where uh, fortunately you don't need to run quite as many now that you have fable of the mirror breaker and so you're not like starting your deck off with quad prismari command or anything like that where in the past and and sometimes critically you could board down on them yes like the but before you just couldn't board down on them because your deck would stop working but now you could pretty easily cut to like two or one mm-hmm. and it's not a big deal yeah that makes sense yeah and fable does also contribute to that like I'm doing something active that requires you to respond and hopefully tap lands, use resources in a way that like lets me get away with a creativity at some point. And so in other formats, like that has been a huge boost to creativity decks. And, you know, in modern, it's not like quite to the same level of, of threat with a, a Fable of the Mirror Breaker, but it does also like help contribute to that needle you to death until I get to like get an opening here. Yeah, it's especially relevant versus Teferi. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of counter magic, which is kind of came in problematic versus Teferi because it turns off all your counter magic. But if you play a Fable and they play Teferi, they, they sort of have to bounce the token. Otherwise, you can, like, if you have a bolt, it's so bad for them and, and it, it can kind of spiral away. Uh, but then in doing that, that means any dwarf you have lying around kills Teferi. You got a Ren Six off the table, kills Teferi. You you have a lot of you have a lot of ability to manage that resource, which is pretty important in, in the in the earlier builds. That was pretty important for the control opponents, whether they be blue, white, or four color, really establishing that lock on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that's that's a really relevant factor, both you know for playing with this deck and playing against this deck is that Teferi loyalty is like this deck deals with planeswalkers by dealing damage and so that's a fairy loyalty yes. is a really important part of the game when when that comes around yeah since we're talking a little bit about like engagement with the enemy do you want to run through a little bit like how the matchups play out like what are you thinking about in kind of the major matchups in the format if we just want to do like four color and murktide and then like cascade decks generally or something like that and then what are you afraid of yeah because most of the things we've talked about thus far are you know, you like the matchup against Murktide and Four Color, and tried to prey on some Cascade stuff. But what what what's what strikes fear into your heart when you play this deck? I, I would never be afraid. No fear. Full forward. What would you um, choose not to play against if you had that option? <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, Burn is something I choose not to play against. What, what what you want to do against Burn is you want to open either Hard Evidence or a Bolt, and you want to kill their first thing or block it. It's also good. And then you want to cast it or you want to cast a thing on turn four and hope it is good enough. Anytime I say hope it is good enough, there's an assumption that a decent amount of time will not be good enough. They'll have a skull crack, they'll have a thing. Uh, you want to board in all of your distant chance because it both kills uh, Eidolon, shout out to Besaju not being a spell, and it kills Rolling Vortex, which is their biggest way to stop life gain, which is bad for you. So, uh, so that's how that matchup plays uh, against Four color and Murktide, you're really, you want to fight a lot over their, not like their ops, but their early pieces of uh, card advantage. So countering early Rens and expressive iterations and Teferis, if you have the ability to, is really good uh, because your counter spells are bad if your opponent has a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. And what you want to prey on and what was happening to me when I was playing four color is it's really hard to deploy an Omnath and also hold up anything. Because Omnath costs four mana and it makes you more mana, but only on your turn. So the four color deck really wants to leverage that by interacting with threats. That are already your on the has, board, yeah. Right, they're already on the board. You wanna, you wanna cast the Omnath, trigger the thing, cast a, a Solitude, kill their thing. You have two blockers, you gain some life, you're probably good, right? And you don't let them do that, right? If they, the rule of spells are okay, but you choose when their removal spells are good. If they're just firing off their unholy heats willy-nilly on your creatures, you have four dwarven minds. Like there's a reason you play four of that card is because you need the subsequent copies because people interact with your stuff. Against the Murktide matchup, it's fairly similar. You want to keep in bolt because you want to deal with their early threats. Things I'm afraid of, if Murktide were to go back to the versions that played Dragon's Rage Channeler and were just much, and played like Dragon's Rage Channeler, more one-drop counter spells. That's probably a bad matchup. It makes your crab a lot worse because you can't block the channeler because it flies. The channeler makes their Murktides come online much sooner. So you have less space to maneuver. Uh, I think as much as recent printings and deck invasions have made this deck better, I think 
Legislator as a whole kind of slowing the format down has led to both this deck and the other Cascade combo decks getting resurgence. It's it's like really hard to, to pick your spot when your opponent has two Dragon Rage Channelers that are attacking you for six every turn. You, you do not have very much space to maneuver. And you don't have any, like you can't play Endurance because it's a creature and you probably didn't cast it. But <laughs> in those spots, your Murktai opponent will be looking at you and you'll be looking at them and you'll be countering all their cards to draw two cards. And eventually they'll probably have to blink. And when they blink, you just try to jam and have a counter spell for their counter spell, which seems simple. It, it seems like, ah, well, will this ever happen? And the answer is, I don't know. I have 10 one mana counter spells. That's so many po post board. Yeah. It is it is almost an irresponsible number of, of one mana counter spells. And that whole plan does rely on one thing, which is a similar thing to like what the Cascade decks playing on Murktide rely on, which is not getting hit by Raghavan at any point in the game. Because if they start hitting yeah, you with Raghavan, your one mana counter spells become just blank pieces of cardboard. Yeah, they get really bad. I Something to play around. I, in one of my testing matches, I tapped out for a Fable and my opponent, Archmage Charmed, my oh, goodness. my token <laughs> and i i now had a ragavan that red couldn't kill and i just very easily lost <laughs> the game was not close so don't so don't don't lose to that um what do you yeah geez what do you like if you've got the you have to cast your fable like you got a fable no you don't you just yeah, wait yeah you you you, you very often just wait. okay it is if they aren't doing something like they can't just do stuff is, is the problem. Mm -hmm. Like they want to just do stuff, but if they just do stuff, you will win the game. Sure. And you don't have to have any setup to winning the game. It's not like uh, living it. So, so something I'll say is a lot of these decks, uh, these other Cascade decks are either Rhinos where the thing they're doing can just be beaten on the table, right? If you like play a big Murktide and your opponent has two Rhinos, like you're probably just ahead. Or it's living end that requires a lot of setup. They have like a lot of resources. And if you're four color, you're just fighting that. You have like three chalice in the void, right? Uh, because even setting all that up, it's still like overwhelming for you. So you have to have this like really strong hate card. Mm -hmm. And against creativity, you just can't do any of that. You're just sitting there. If your opponent ever, ever casts their big spell and you don't have an answer for it, you're going to lose. So you have to try to slow play, but in slow playing, you kind of just let me play my game plan the way I want to. There's a lot of, all right, I'm gonna cast this Fable. What do you got? You're gonna counter it? It's like really good for me if you, <laughs> and it, whether or not I want you to counter it is obvious based on my hand, but it's basically impossible for you to know because the first couple of turns I just didn't do anything, right? I just went past, maybe I played a crab to block or something. So it, it, it puts, the interact opponents in this really tight bind. Uh, other matchups against Cascade, I think you are pretty heavily favored. Basically, you just board in all your counter magic mm -hmm. and you are playing in a lot of ways the same deck, but your deck is better at fighting their deck than their deck is at fighting your deck. Force Negation is good, but Fluster Storm is better and Veil is better. And just what, what, what mana spells are very powerful. Um, sure, I don't need to tell anybody that. But that's how a lot of those matchups go. And also, especially against Living End, uh, putting Archons in the graveyard is really powerful. Because if your opponent reanimates two of your Archons, they can eat it twice and discard two cards, and you gain six life, and they lose six life, and then you want to tap with your Archons. Like, you don't you do not need many attacks with an Archon to to win again magic. It, it it ends it ends pretty fast. Yeah. For each Archon you put in the graveyard, it like increases the requirement for like what it needs to be to be successful and and generally it also means that they can only violent outburst is like the only way that they can actually yeah kill you with a a living end so they need a, a little bit extra in the graveyard in order to like get over the three life and the sacrifice and the giant blocker and so then that gives you more time to do the thing that you want to do and also you've turned off half of their cascaders, which is one of their big plans against counter spells too, is like end of turn violent outburst, you counter that. All right, main phase, shardless agent. But like you you just can't cascade on your main phase and then let them untap with Archon of Cruelty. So you've you've constricted them a lot by 
either putting one in the graveyard or just holding up mana because if you resolve Prismaria Command in response to a living end and put an Archon or two in the grave, like that's a threat they have to respect. Yep, yep. Something I just thought of while we are talking about this. It is very important that your Archons win the game because you uh-huh. only have four of them. Most of the time, they're just going to win the game. Like, they're, they're, they're very good at winning games. Where this can become a problem is if your opponent has Verdict in their deck. In situations where you're playing against a blue-white or four-color opponent and they're just sitting there with like five cards in their hand, missing land drops because you counted their random six, often you will only want to creativity for two, even if you had the ability to creativity for more. Because if you creativity for two and you put two Archons into play and they discard two cards, basically all of their single target ways of interacting with all of that are very insufficient. But if you if, if you do it for like the full four, right? And then they have one card in hand, but that card is Supreme Verdict and they untap and Supreme Verdict you and then they just like get to play the rest of the game and they have however many turns to, to deal with your one ones and two twos. Like they're, they're, they're just going to win that game. So that's definitely a position where you want to be judicious with how many Archons you're putting into play. Uh, but basically only in those matchups, if your opponent does not have Rats, yeah. all of the Archons. The more, the more Archons you have, the easier it is to win. Against Yawgmoth, so I'd only played the one match. Red and Six is very good against Yawgmoth, uh, is basically what I learned from that match. My friend decided to copy my deck. He played against Yawgmoth twice in, in this one tournament. Uh, different player than the player I played against. So maybe, so one, we should probably respect Yawgmoth more. When I say that, I respect Yawgmoth as a deck, but I think especially when you're preparing for these smaller field tournaments, there's a lot of decks that I think are good that people just don't play and it's not really worth trying to beat them. It's better off just trying to make sure your plans against the established decks that you know you're Mm -hmm. gonna play against are good because you have limited time and energy. I think one of the biggest problems is they can surgical, not, not surgical, uh, what's it called, ne- uh, Necromancia? Necromancia, yeah. Yeah, they can Necromancia all your Archons. And then it is hard to win because you don't have any Archons anymore. <laughs> the originalists were playing in Emrakul, and I think I would go back to that, partially because of this, partially just because your sideboard isn't very good. <laughs> so stick, and it, stick in Emrakul. Like the second dress down, I think, is kind of some nonsense. Yeah, so, so, so you, might, you might as well get and the high And then you get your percentage play. against Mill, and you know, you got all of that. Yeah, screw Mill. You don't, you don't want to lose to Mill. You probably still will lose to Mill, though. Not you. Ten one mana counter spells. I cannot. I cannot <laughs> express how powerful it is to play ten one mana counter spells <laughs> in a format that is like based around people beating two mana counter spells. Two is so much more mana, especially when the two mana counter spell deck plays like four colors. It's so much mana to cast counter spell. Right, my two mana counter spell deck plays Ragvan, but <laughs> well, that that that, that one's a bit better. At least a casting counter spell. Yeah. So I think the Yogg matchup, in that matchup, you want to slow roll. You, you want to put more Archons into play. Putting one into play usually isn't very good. And also, your main way of attacking them is by fighting on their mana. And if you're fighting on their mana, what's going to happen is what happened in, in my uh, first game of my match against uh, Yogg-Moth, where he just had three Yogg-Moths in his hand he couldn't cast. And then I ca- played... Archon for three. I put three Archons and he discarded all three of the Yawgmoths because Archon makes the discard cards, uh, which is generally your plan against a lot of decks, like also versus Tron. It is very important to get the last card out of their hand because the last card out of their hand is usually really good. Whatever it is, uh, your your Tron opponent's last card will probably beat you because they discarded it they kept in hand over the other cards that were worse. So that's a big part of that. And I think that's definitely a matchup that I don't love to see. Uh, I think the uh, the Emrakul helps. Um, I think Hammer is probably the worst matchup of the decks that are really played. I think it is the matchup where Spell Pierce is at its worst. It's still okay if you counter like either their Hammer or their Cigar's Aid. Sometimes you just win. But as percent, it was really good versus you because you just you just have to give them the card like every you, you're like deck doesn't function. You you, you want to play a blocker, but your blocker triggers the stupid S percent though. Uh because crab is not a creature. So that's definitely match I, I I don't want to play. I think you know the plan is you board in a bunch of disenchants and you hope it works out. And like a reasonable amount of time. Again, 
power of creativity. If you get to the part of the game where you're casting the creativity, it beats most mm. things your opponent can be doing. But they're they're pretty yeah, likely. They're, to their win critical the turn is a little uh, bit earlier than that. Yeah. That yeah, the critical turn is early. Yeah. <laughs> Cheaters. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're also spell pierce gamers. The rise of Hammer in this deck right now is sort of proof that uh, spell pierce is very good right now. Especially spell pierce where your opponent is not necessarily trying to interact with you with creature removal, which they sort of are with Hammer, but not, it's you, you you got a lot of leeway against the Lightning Bolt. You, you, you have a lot of play there. Uh, what other decks are good in this format? There are a million decks in modern. We have hit the the vast hit the majority broad of them. The only one I think we haven't is Amulet. I think. Oh sure, Basaju is good versus Amulet because you counter their bounce land. I think a lot of your cards are not very good, but I also think you just race them a decent amount of the time, especially because in their racing hands they want to deploy uh, like a three drop to accelerate them, and if you edict their three drop. A lot of times, even if they have the follow-up Titan, it doesn't actually kill you, and it, it needs to actually kill you. It's definitely not a preferred matchup. Basically, I, I, I am always afraid of people that are just trying to linear me really hard. Because sometimes, like, you don't have that much disruption, and sometimes they'll just linear you harder than you can linear them. Yeah, but, I, you know, I think it, it can be fine. Anything else that we should touch on about modern in general? I We did get some, like modern philosophy things like the spell spell pure situation and stuff uh i don't know what are any other thoughts about this deck how good is it going to be going forward or long term what i guess what can people do to like prepare for this deck what wouldn't you want to see if you're bringing this deck to another tournament yeah so if if you are playing burn into this deck just hold up lightning bolt for the whole game and if you hold up lightning bolt for the whole game like the whole game is like two more turns. <laughs> so it's it's very difficult for me to combo through that in a lot of spots. Or, you know, be a, if it looks like I can, you know, use your brain, play, play correctly. But if I can't put an Archon into play, it's really hard to win. And it requires me committing my entire turn to try to do so. And oftentimes I'm having to point it at a, a Dwarf. If you are playing Murktide, playing more one-mana counter spells, which I think might just be the play anyway, uh, I'm not much of a Murktide player, but I think that's just where the meta is right now. If you play DRC, you're extra favored, but I think you're not allowed to do that due to like the mirror being really popular. Um, right. I think it's just too bad in, in in that matchup. But you, but like you can just play more Fluster Storms. I think. Probably just cut the Blood Moons that don't target anyone. Um, actually, Blood Moon is mm. really good versus this deck. <laughs> in my quarterfinals, I played against the Red White Fervent Champion and Swords deck. And none of those cards do anything, except they have four Blood Moons, uh, which do a lot of things. And I was fortunate to have my one Besaidu in my hand when my opponent went for the Blood Moon in game one, and then boarded in a lot of stuff. But I think a proactive deck playing Blood Moon is a pretty good way to shut this deck down. Like you both, you, you can't cast any of your spells and your Dwarven Minds don't work. And then basically all I have left is try to use Fable to make treasures to, to compete that way. But fa like the, the, the Fable Goblin is, is not hard to interact with. So Blood Moon is definitely a good pivot. This is another deck that makes Hammer good. I think Hammer is on a bit of an upswing right now. I know Will Pulliam uh, won a RCQ, uh, same dad did, I think. And also like, I don't know, I think the deck has a surprising amount of play in the mirror because the act of picking your spot and seeing when you should go for the Archon, but if you don't make them sack enough stuff, then they can Archon you back, and that's really bad for you. And how do you leverage your removal, like, most effectively? I, I think there's a lot of play in that matchup, and if you just, like, get reps and try to play the deck and play the mirror, I think the deck's going to be pretty good for a while. Um, at least, like, my experience with Paper is the meta sort of just stays where it is until there is some large signpost event telling people the right. meta is different now. Um, and so I think SCG Syracuse was sort of the breakout for this deck. I know there's an NRG in some not very many number of weeks that may be another shift in a different direction. I, mean, I think mostly just Playing something proactive and having interaction for the combo is is where you want to be if you want to beat this deck. And I think a lot of decks, 
like a advantage you get playing this deck is your opponents just, they don't know what to do. And I don't know about y'all, but if I don't know what to do, I'm liable to just make really bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> that's why That's why I have to get reps. I don't, like I'm not uh, a player that's very good at intuiting new plans on the fly. And, you know, if, if you play creativity, your opponents won't have played against creativity very much. They, 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 they just won't have. Um, especially if they're at, you know, your local RCQ where, you know, people are just like generally not super enfranchised. Sure. They're just there for a good time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There was also discourse today about oh. when you should play. <laughs> I know Lee loves discourse about whether you should play uh, like the best deck or a different deck. And I have opinions, and y'all gave me a platform, so I'm gonna talk yeah. about it. What is the discourse today? Um, this is the four color is overrated discourse, or it's it's okay. all in that space. That's basically, part of the discourse. You, yeah, you're not discourse. The, the discourse is basically. I, I was doing work today. I did work for my job, and then I did. I God wrote bless. a lot, which is a thing that I've been trying, meaning to to do. So I guess the cost of that is missing out on some of the discourse. I uh, I also worked today, but there were long mm. build times because the fast build service broke. So we were scrolling Twitter during that. My opinion on the discourse is that if you are not, so like say you're trying to qualify for an RCQ. I, I, I feel like that's what most of your audience who's engaging with sure. competitive I think right are. now that's what our focus is at least. Yeah, for sure. I think if you are not consistently top aiding the events you're going to, it just, doesn't matter and you should focus on playing better. In general, most of the people getting this, getting these qualifications would top eight or very close to it with basically any like playable modern deck because there is a fairly wide skill gap you see in these tournaments. I think once you are in the position where you're top eighting a lot and you really, you know, you really want to get that win, I think you should be focusing on, well, what seems to be winning at these tournaments and, and I think you should try to focus on playing a still powerful deck. Don't do the thing where you're like, oh, I'm gonna target this by playing this deck that only has one good matchup. You wanna make sure all your matchups are still pretty good, but pick the deck from the playable decks that you think has the most game against what you expect to, what you expect to face in your top eight. So I didn't know, so I played four color because I thought it had the best range and then I thought I had a better idea. So I switched to this deck and I was successful. So th those are my opinions on discourse. I don't know if y'all have, have anything you'd like to add. My thoughts on the discourse are very consistent, at least for how I am as a player, right? Like, I don't really care about playing the best deck or whatever. Sure. Mostly because I'm just, like, you know, playing because I enjoy Magic the Gathering, you know? So I'm just yeah, going to sure. do whatever I think is the funnest thing for me. And recently, it's just been, like, the Glimpse decks, which I think is perfectly reasonable. I'll never play a deck that's, like, fun but terrible, you know? <laughs> That's the FNM for. Yes, exactly. That's exactly. Or like the modern for. leagues. You, you get to play the stinkers in the modern modern leagues. Yeah, and if you've ever watched any or played a modern league or watched a streamer play it, if you don't play Magic Online, uh, you know that is exactly what modern leagues are for. <laughs> you see everything in those. So I I agree with your point, which is maybe a hard pill to swallow that if you're not consistently doing well, you do need to focus on your play above all else. I don't think that's touched on enough. Because the easy thing, the easy way out is just like, oh, this deck is going to give me a better chance, but I don't own Ruin Sixes. Like, maybe I'll just buy them and then I'll start winning, you know? I feel like that's a, a place a lot of people turn to. And it's really more often just that have someone watch, someone who's better than you watch you while you're playing your games and just talk with them after the game if that's what you need to do. Just like focus on your play. I think that's a really, really good point we don't talk about enough. And also, I mean it in a positive way. Like, oh, I know, I know. It's it's cool. Like, okay, it would be really cool to me if I could play against like a bunch of players who were better than me every weekend at a tournament. That would be awesome. And when I was coming up in Magic, there was a lot of that, right? But you know, I've played more and I've improved, yada yada yada, right? So, like. I don't know. I just think it's cool. <laughs> like if you're if you're still in that part where you're like learning and growing and you have like so much you like so much more you can achieve without having to like fly and do this whole thing. I don't know. It, it, there, there, there's a lot of opportunities for for playing magic. 
And I think there's a lot of like, why are you playing this tournament if you're not the best or whatever? But I don't know, man, like most people aren't the best. I'm not the best. Y'all aren't the best. We're, we're all just trying to try, try to come up with good decks and good plans and, you know, do, do the best we can on, on, on any given weekend, right? Yeah, yeah and I mean, exactly. we go back to this well over and over and over again, but like, this is a dumb use of your time if you're not having fun. So, and not that you should yeah. prioritize like playing a pet deck over everything because you think that's going to maximize your fun. Like, you have to figure out what your goals are and stuff, but... If you hate playing four color, if you've like given it a shot and you're like, this sucks, I can't do it. Like, I don't like this. Then th don't like, obviously, because how like what a miserable thing to like go do your hobby for a full Saturday and play six to nine rounds with a deck you hate playing. Like, don't do that to yourself. You also just won't win. Like magic is so hard. And in order to like consistently find the best lines. You have to be actively looking for them. And I, I, I just don't think you can do that with the deck you hate. I think, I think you, you like need to be engaged in a positive way and want to win the match and not just like want the whole turn to be over and go home, which whenever I play a deck I hate, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, why. For sure. And I, I mean, and, and that's not always the thing. And that's probably relatively rarely the thing you're deciding between is like do i play the best deck which i hate playing but like to some extent that calculus is relevant here it's like if you enjoy what you're doing then you will be better at it so that is that's an easy tiebreaker for me a lot of the time when i'm choosing between decks of similar ish power level is like i enjoy playing this deck and i have more reps with it probably because i enjoy playing with it like my win percentage is going to be higher with that deck. So that also makes it more fun because winning is really, really fun to do. Winning is, and also, I don't know about y'all, my card collection reflects that. I do not own <laughs> Ragavan because I do not think Ragavan is very fun. <laughs> and therefore, I love playing Ragavan, nah, it's garbage, garbage. Yeah, but you play, people. you play. Um, <laughs> Lee, your Ragavans are not assigned to the main Ragavan deck of the format. You're not a you're not a Murktide man. No, I don't enjoy Murktide, but I do enjoy uh, making mm. a treasure when I attack, and that's where I deal. Tre treasures so, are really cool. I, I you can do a lot of things if you accumulate a treasure or two early in the game, like a lot of cool stuff. Ragavan is really good. Yes. I, I don't know if y'all know this. We have but. figured that out. This isn't really the podcast for hot takes, though. <laughs> I, I will say, I think accomplishing things outside of magic makes you significantly better at magic. Because you just, like, all of the edge is just gone. It just, like, doesn't... Like, there's still some of it, but, like, I, I'm significantly more confident in, like, my play, and it doesn't matter as much if I don't win. Right. It's just, like, I don't know, I got, like, right. stuff going on. You can just, like, not... Uh have your full identity engaged in trying to win a game of magic is not very yeah. healthy perspective perspective is really powerful well it's both perspective and like i don't know when i was like in college i was like in a like not the best part of my life and like a lot of things were not going very well and so magic is this thing that is like much easier to try to fix than any of the other real problems mm. in your life and so you sort of like over commit to that. I think it, I think it's like pretty easy. And I think, you know, you see that in, I'm sure y'all know. I'm sure there are people in your head or possibly past y'all who, who, who you can point to. Yeah. And, and then when like so much of your like identity and the successes that you have had are tied up in magic, every time you like fail at it, it just like becomes such a crushing thing that it's much healthier to not be so devoted to it. All right. Well, Nick, thank you so much. We super appreciate you coming on. Congrats on your win. We'll see you. I mean, I'll see you around, but it'll be cool to hang out in Atlanta as well, for sure. Uh, if you want to find us online on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McCleo. Nick, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Bobinchese, B-O-B-I-N-C-H-E-S-E. And uh, I'm also in Twitch chat a lot because <laughs> software development has a lot of dead time. Uh, so I might be in there. You know, message me if you have questions. I like to, you know, help people out. And uh, the only thing better 
then winning a thing is when somebody else takes your deck oh, and they God. also win a thing. And you just get to, oh, it's so good. It's the best. Especially when that person like doesn't really speak English. There's like from a completely different community and culture. And there's like, yeah, I found this thing. And then I trusted this person on the other side of the world. That's really cool. But anyway, if there are any like Japanese listeners to this podcast, <laughs> hit me up. Um, yeah. I, a couple of times I have like hit mythic with a brew and posted it and then had people like at me like, Hey, I changed two cards and I also hit mythic. And it's like, even that is just like, Oh man, my heart, it feels so good. Yeah. Create more positivity on Twitter. Cause, uh, yeah, sometimes there's not. That. See, I had, I'm kind of tangent here at the end of the podcast. I had a goal like 2020, the beginning of the year before I knew the pandemic was the thing that I was just going to be positive on Twitter, not negative. Boy, that was hard to do <laughs> that particular year. But I have tried to keep that forward uh, as we go along. And I think it helps me treat the platform like there's actual people on it. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing a thing where every day I post, I like a card and then I just write what the card does after it. And it's, it's a really good way to start the day. There's like a lot of sweet magic cards that I like. But do you really uh, like KCA? So that's... <laughs> no, but you do, and I like you, so I want, I want you to be be happy. I do like KCA. I like it. I like it because it's a yeah. goblin throwing a mirror into the furnace. That is good. Art, art, art is good. F following artists also makes your Twitter feed better. It does. That's really true. Yeah. So life hacks, or Twitter hacks at least, from the MTG Grindcast featuring Nick Shirillo. Hi. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nick. Thanks everybody for listening. We do really, really appreciate your time and. Have a great week. Goodbye. Bye-bye.